everybody, and welcome to Between Two Weirwoods, a podcast where we are talking to some of the best players in the game about how they are making their factions work. Today with me, I have Charles Trahan, who is going to be talking about their 4-1 winning list from the Team Super League, where they ran Free Folk. Charles was on the Faceless Men of Discord, who came second overall in Division 3 when it came down to tiebreakers tying for first place. And he is also the co-host of the Sunday Slaughter podcast. Say hello to everyone, Charles. Hey everybody, thanks for having me. You brought both Mance and Torment as your commanders for this tournament. Do you want to jump into the Mance list and we'll give it a good rundown? Sure. So just to kind of provide a little context, TSL format was back in july and so in the summer we were looking at panic meta versus high morale skews it was pretty prevalent going into tsl and we also had the ability to sort of draft pick some matchups per a modified version of the steamon tournament document uh, team tournament document specifically so knowing what we were trying to do with my team we were able to sort of tune our list just a little bit to what we were trying to face now I found with Free Folk, there wasn't a whole lot of tuning I could do at the time. But my primary goals were to reach eight activations at a minimum, nine if plausible, and then to kind of keep how I was going to win in mind. Free Folk being fairly combo-centric with the updated tactics deck and certain cards, or very objective-oriented, which is kind of something they've always done. So in the man's list, this is reflected in that this is an eight-activation list, and I particularly felt I could get away with eight versus nine activations because I was probably going to be matched up into a lot of seven-activation lists in that we assumed most teams were going to be comprised of Night's Watch, Targaryens, Lannisters, and a combination of either Baratheons, Greyjoys, or Free Folk in the fourth slot. So I was pretty confident that I was to be facing one of those four, but I had to be able to address one of the other three, which led to Mance being an obvious pickup because of the Lannister matchup specifically. But in general, he's a good all-arounder, right? So to kick the list off, uh, I actually put him in Trappers. People were down on Trappers in the beginning and still kind of are because they are a shadow of what they were, but they still have their place, though it is very niche. Not many commanders want to be as far back as they tend to have to be to not just get wrecked, despite the fact they're a short-range infantry. Uh, and they're not insignificant anymore. So you can't just kind of be willing to use them as a speed bump. But Mance is happy to be no more than six inches away from stuff, or no less than six inches away from stuff, have some units in his little bubble, his screen. And his cards are very versatile. And in the matchups that I was going to be facing... One of the concerns is tar pitting. So you're looking at poor fellows, conscripts, uh, even wardens, Baratheon wardens, other free folk. Those are all things that were considerations for chaff that was going to be kind of in the way of my objective play because my main priority is objective play. So the trappers traps actually is very good into that, right? Most tar pit units, your raiders, your poor fellows, your conscripts are armor like five. So the traps actually matter and help you kind of slowly whittle them away a little bit and put attrition in your favor to a degree. So the traps actually were pretty useful in this matchup. Um, I've, I am still, to this day, very happy with Mance and Trappers. And then from there, you're going to see kind of a combination of five-point units. Some of the meta for Free Folk's five points is kind of homogenized, where people are pretty firmly in the camp of Followers of Bone, Spearwives, are probably better than Cave Dweller Savages, but I still very much like Cave Dweller Savages in certain lists. So you actually see me run all three five-pointers here, everything but Thins, basically. So we have Naked Followers of Bone, because with Horrific Visage and Vicious, they're just solid on their own. Mant's Bubble kind of shores up that morale sum and makes them pretty survivable. And then I had Spearwife Matriarch and Harmus Bannerman in the Spearwives. And while this seems like an expensive unit at seven points, it's a very versatile seven-point unit. It's a lot of good orders and keywords to copy over to other units with coordinated tactics. But also, it's gotten pretty popular now since the summer. It's a bouncing Spearwives, right? You get in there, you get the big combo of charging volley into a buffed-up charge, you know, coordinated assault. And then when they crack back at you, you use your Swift Retreat, and then you heal up the damage with your regroup from Harmless Bannerman, right? 
So you take a fairly glass cannony unit, and now it can kind of fence, if not joust, with people a little bit. And that's something free folk kind of need, because they do have the spiky combo damage with there's too many. And specifically, there's too many as a follow-up to a coordinated assault full-rank charge, possibly with crit blow, if you have one of the um, overwhelming assault cards. It's pretty big. And then you've got Cave Dweller Savages were in this list, and they had Harma in them. This unit is the kind of debated unit combo. Is it needed? Is it not needed? Could this have just been Spearwives or Followers of Bone? Personally, I feel like this is a preference thing. I don't think one outperforms the other very much, as long as you have one Spearwives in your list. But the idea behind this is that this unit could be on a far flank because it's very fast. It can be anywhere it needs to be on the table. So it doesn't have to be near Mance because it's also already morale four. Harma makes the Cave Dweller Savages speed seven, and they can pivot before they march, and gives them Sentinel. So at speed seven, a charge, you're threatened pretty far. But then when we get to the NCUs, you'll see I run Egret. So Egret on this unit is a speed eight Sentinel unit, which threats any ranged units also that are a problem. So it's also a good way to get to Stormcrow Archers. It's a good way to get to Greyjoy uh, Archers, things like that. So it's just a very versatile unit. I do like this unit a lot. And then it puts the Sundering keyword in play for copying over with stuff, right? So I would often use Sentinel to get into a really aggressive position on the board. Even if they shot me, it's very likely they didn't take a whole rank off with the average unit, unless it was souped up like Night's Watch. And then I could buff them up and charge in and have a pretty hard-hitting like backline threat people so they did a lot of work for me in my matchups and then i had raiders with an obligatory free one point attachment this is a champion of bone because at the time all the base math for damage was in favor of intimidating presence over a lot of other keywords we could give with this now honestly i would probably make this a raid leader to be honest but that's more of a playstyle difference than a mechanical difference but this Raiders with Champion of Bone did me did plenty of work. Literally, this unit would do things like tank Champs of the Stag and win, right? Because Champs of the Stag without the charge couldn't kill them. And that little bit of panic manipulation was enough to make the Morale 6 to a Morale 7 and more damage that they would eventually just outlast with me taking bags and stuff and using Regroup and Reform. This little cheap trash unit would just tank all eight points of Champs of the Stag. So... It was great for what it was because I knew what I was playing into. And then NCUs, Styre at five points, feels like a bit of a tax for some people, and me included, but he is probably one of the best five points free folk can spend in most lists because our attack profiles are pretty throttled down. So getting the attack Diane Sundering is actually really big. It means you don't have to run the Cave Dweller Savages for the Sundering keyword. You have a way to it's a buff on a stick with Sundering to give stuff. Which is real big. It's got Egret, who has quickly became my ride or die NCU in Free Folk. One, it's a cool model. Two, the speed buff or debuff is huge. And the more you pray Free Folk, the more you realize that the hindering keyword is really problematic for us because we hit on fours for pretty much everything outside of Bone Lord's Chosen, really. So hindering is a massive debuff for Free Folk. We're just not going to do damage at all. So ignoring that and extending threat, since we lost some of our movement keyword uh, cards and such, she became a real MVP NCU for me at four points. And then to round out the list, I have Lady Val because who doesn't like maneuver replacement effects? All right, very solid. You said the one unit of the five pointers you didn't consider was the the fins. Yeah. I've seen other people put Mance in a unit of Thens. Was that ever a consideration for you? Or did you always want to keep him back and keep um, him in a unit that just supporting? So, so it costs you an extra point, which costs you either Harma or Herbanaman or the Matriarch, which I don't feel like what that unit brings is worth more than what those attachments bring. Or you have to downgrade Styre to like a Craster. Because we also don't have any other real NCUs to pick from because you're playing Mance. I think they often get cut because of things like that. And no, I don't think they're better than, say, Flowers of Bone. Because, like, in theory, if I made Flowers of Bone thins, I can just play another unit of Raiders or another unit of Trappers as that floater unit, naked unit. 
it's a consideration, but no, not particularly. Because um, as I mentioned, so other tricks that the trappers are actually surprisingly useful for is you never see someone more shocked than when you coordinated tactics, Spearwives abilities at the end of the game from that nearly dead unit of Spearwives to a fully stacked unit of trappers <laughs> with your commander in game modes where maybe you get extra points for killing something with your commander because they get charging volley. I never right? even thought of that. Yeah, that's huge. So, like, they always forget about it, and it's, like, round five, and you're like, I'm about to blow that unit up um, and come in, right? So, like, let's say it's honed and ready. You threat their backfield. Uh, you can shoot from one deck to the next. You make the charge, and then you over, you know, you, you fall with your um, your search forth onto the objective token kind of thing, right? And now it's a three-point play, and they're down in activation, right? That's literally how you can ice the game. It's a real big play they just don't think about. And a little bit of passive damage is not something free folk have. So the traps actually is pretty clutch, like I said, against tar pit units and stuff. Yeah. Because um, like I said, you, a lot of our damage spike, is, especially if you're running like the Followers of Bone and like the Champ of Bone and stuff, is panic. So when you, if you do draw into that poor fellow's list or something, you're like, okay, well, even with there's too many, they're saving on like eights, you know? It's likely to fail, but we also don't have a lot of token play, so they're not likely to be panicked either, unless you're bringing Torment Warcry, which I would definitely bring now, but I didn't at the time. So the traps, passive traps triggers, is enough to just throw the math off. Uh, it's just enough to offset that regen. It's enough to offset moving wounds between conscripts. It's enough to offset using tokens on poor fellows and things like that, just to keep just enough pressure down that's a little bit easier for your four plus to hit to actually get enough wounds in to kill so that's some of the many reasons why i didn't run thins i don't think they're a better offensive output than flowers of bone and i don't think they're defensive enough to benefit the list and how it tries to score basically you mentioned another big pick there in torment attachment who brings firing presence and war cry a lot of people I don't think rated him originally because he was two points, but a lot of people now are seeking him in Raiders. If you were to re replay this list, do you think you would try to find that point to fit him in here? Yeah, absolutely. This Followers of Bone unit that's just naked would be a five-point unit of Raiders with Torment, and then the other Raiders, instead of having a Champion of Bone, would have a uh, Raid Leader in it if I was to redo this list. Mm, very smart. And you find that... Uh, the the raid leader adds a lot more than that champion of bone in again in the matchups you're trying to deal with right because of how other people's lists have changed and some of the newer releases right that have come out at this point in time this champion of bone slight difference in morale test to wounds isn't worth the opportunity cost per se because your real panic damage your real modifiers are coming from there's too many just adding a negative three total Right, if you get to the max mm -hmm. and three wounds, yeah. this minus one for the the to go to four and four wounds is good. I mean, it's a whole rank; it's real good. But more often than not, in the combat math, getting consistently getting to the panic test is more important than how you can modify the panic test. And the raid leader with gang up, giving the bonus to hits and stuff, is the thing we have a harder time buffing right we have ways to buff our ability to do panic damage or get it through we have access to vicious we have access to panic tokens with with torment with Warcry. right we have access to just taking the letters and putting out tokens if we have to we don't have a lot of access to modifying our initial attack so raid leaders is that so you kind of have to look at where your deficits are you have less tools in the modifying the initial attack category than you do in modifying the panic so you kind of got a tech for that to shore that gap up. So that would be the change if I was to change this list today. That's my initial pass would be that. Right. Very nice. Uh, so let's hop over to that Tormund list then. And let's give a run through of that one. Okay. So this goes back to being matchup dependent again. Cavalry is everywhere. <laughs> and there was a chance that I faced into either a particularly heavy gun line that may not have been Night's Watch per se, let's say it's two and three Bowmen Starks or something, or multiple Bowmen in Greyjoys, or just Cav Heavy Lifts in general, right? A lot of Flaymen, Hedge Knights, 
Hedge Knights weren't out at the time. Yeah, they were. They were actually out. I played it against uh, Fortune Seeker I'm looking at now. And then you had a lot of people playing Drogo. They weren't necessarily playing MOD, but there was a lot of Cav lists. So Torment has what I think is one of the single most impactful cards in the game for a commander to have, and that's Rush of Aggression. And for those who don't know Rush of Aggression, because maybe you don't have access to a commander with it, it's an auto six on the charge. And for anybody who played a lot of 1.6, we know how important that is to alpha striking in the game. So being free folk lost things like Swift Advance, which is kind of a surprise movement on our turn. It's a lot to leverage. And we don't have cav movement until the chariots now, but we definitely didn't this summer. And things like that, getting those threat extensions was very important to me in that that was the types of things that the Mance list would be bad at handling. It wasn't so much about factions, but it was about archetypes, mechanics. So the Mance list is very good if I can get toward the middle of the table and be there and play my objectives and hinder you from doing it with his control cards and having these bodies and these just value engines and these combos. Whereas if you can sit further back from me, though, and you can lob shots at me from archers or cav bullets or, you know, one of my uh, Dothraki um, archers, the cav archers, oh, yeah. which are amazing, you know, uh, things like that, then the Manslist actually struggles, right? It's not failing those morale tests reliably, but we have no armor. So I'm still getting shot up, and it's really hard to control the table when everything's half dead. So, the Torment list is designed to get in your face um, and punch, especially the Dothraki in the Armor 5 Cav in the face first. Or in the case of uh, Hedge Knights and stuff, before bags are taken, things like that, hitting them before they're buffed up. So, Torment is in Spearwives because it's a, felt like a no-brainer at the time. I still think it's a good place for him. doesn't have to be there. But he does give them vulnerable in the charge, which is really nice. And he gives them an overrun. So whenever you're full health, the idea is that you've softened up a unit already. And then you come in with the double tap, of charging volley into charge with Torment, clear the unit, get the overrun order from Torment, charge another unit. And this is all at three ranks with coordinated assault, right? That's a ton of hits coming into an army. So that's just the general idea of why he's in Spearwives. Spearwives are real good. Turns out. Yeah. Again, you see me running the Cave Dweller Savages with Harma. And again, this is debatable for some people, and to a degree, possibly overkill. Because the idea, again, is you see Egret is in the NCUs. You put Egret on, on Harma's unit. You have Speed 8 Cave Dweller Savages, and you have an Auto 6 on the charge with Rush of Aggression. And then it also gives Crit Blow, and then it also gives, uh, if it's Torment's unit, which is not in this case, it'd be vulnerable. So... You're looking at an auto-in, 14-inch charge with Sundering and Cripplo. Pretty, pretty intense charge. So that is literally the entirety of it, right? Is that you set up the situation where you use a force or something, you screen them up, use Harmer to march them pretty much to the center of the table, and the minute your opponent does something that you don't like, you either Sentinel charge it, or you charge way behind their back line. And even if they know it's there, like, we used to know Starks were coming from across the table. Mm -hmm. You have to play with that in mind. And that allows me to leverage my other units and where I put them. So that's the entire idea behind this list, honestly, is that you hot rod up Cave Dweller Savages or Spearwives with these buffs, and you charge them from downtown, just like you would Starks. You've got Dev Impact. It's literally a Stark deck. Right? You've got Dev Impact, you've got Counter Charge, you've got Rush of Aggression. I'm charging something, I'm probably getting there, and there's some kind of buff or debuff involved. It's the entire mechanic is that if there's no way for me to stop you from punching my man's list first, then I'm going to play the Torment list because it's built to punch you first. That's it. It's just to force asymmetry early and then pressure from there. So outside of the Cave Dweller Savages, you see another Raiders with Champion of Bone. You see a Spirit Wives with Bannerman again because I think Bannerman's just a good deal. You're retreating with things like Lady Val and stuff, and it's just solid for a point. But to be honest, it never came up, so I probably wouldn't play it much again. I'd probably put something else in the list. And then you see Followers of Bone with Champ of Bone. And the reason why this combo is here is, again, this little bit of panic damage with Vicious. 
and horrific visage. This unit can hold an objective by itself and win a trade with a, a most pretty average unit. Like this six points kills a lot of six points. Yeah. This this six points often kills seven points. This six points can weaken eight points, and then one of these other units can kill. <laughs> right, can kill the eight points. Or I get endless horde in play, and then this unit plus a free raider unit kills a lot of things in the game. So this unit is doesn't need a babysitter. It doesn't need a support unit. It doesn't need card play really. It just does stuff. So flowers of bone, champ of bone. If you have a flank you need to cover and you don't know what to do with six points, it's never a bad buy. This list I would tweak currently. I would change it. I think, um, like I said, two champs of bone, not needed. I'd probably run a raid leader and one of the then the raider unit or something. But overall, I did I was pretty happy with it. NCUs are Mance, Craster, and Egret, as I mentioned. So Mance has changed a lot. Uh, I do like Mance NCU. It's hard to get away from Mance Commander, so a lot of people haven't played Mance NCU. But he is quite good. He's basically the card draw version of old Courtney. And he combos specifically with Craster. So you go through a metric ton of cards, so much so that you are often discarding a little bit. But as I mentioned, you're really trying to aggressively get to there's too many, overwhelming assault, endless horde, rush progression. And anything else there is just a bonus. So you really do want to go through a lot of cards. And since you are kind of overextending a little bit, the craster heal is not negligible. I do still really like this NCU package. Some people feel that it's overkill on card draw, and they may be correct. But I'm not 100% yet that that is the case. And then I don't know if i rather just take Craster over Mance at that point or not. Depending on the matchups, Mance sees you more cards and discourages your opponents from doing certain things sometimes because, oh, they block letters. They give me a token. But like the unit they really want to put the token on, I, I don't want my unit weakened, for instance. I put Mance there. And then are you going to weaken me and then give me a card? Kind of thing. But that gets into like politics on the table, and I don't like betting on that in my lists. So I don't know if I would break this team up at currently. The only reason why I think I would break the team up is to fit Steyr in here, because this list is meant to get across the table and punch stuff, and Steyr punches things harder than not, right? So like I would consider dropping the Bannerman and upgrading somebody to Steyr if I was to play this again. But the list did well for me. I played uh, one of your buddies, Artonis, his targs, and it did what it was supposed to do. It zoned him off the objectives, and just, that's what we did. <laughs> I, I will say, uh, in Artonis' defense, I think I had played you this exact list with my great choice maybe yeah. a day or two before, and I was, I was like, all right, so you just got to remember that there's these cards, and there's this thing, and I got way too much in his head right before your guys' game. And your list did exactly what it was supposed to do, and he was so afraid of it all because I literally just told him every possible combo that can happen. So. Yeah, but to be, to be fair, I remember this game vividly because he and I did talk about it and we laughed about it. I did have, like, not the dream hand, but after the first turn one of card draw, I had the full combos, right? I had... Yeah. Rush of Aggression into There's Too Many and Field Advantage, right? Uh, and Endless Horde. And I played Endless Horde, like, on turn two when I'm going first, like, on schedule, right? And he didn't have field control. So once he saw it start to happen, he did do the right thing in playing back because I was going to probably blow him up. But all it really did was delay it, and then he was out of position to try and call the bluff. If I didn't have it, right, if I ended up not having it, he was out of position to capitalize on me not having it. But then had he come forward, I, it just so happened I did have it, and he was going to eat it in the face. So he was in a lose-lose. But this is something I'm, you guys are going to hear me say a lot on different things, is that you have to dare people to have cards. Because if I didn't have it, he could have been in a position to win the game. But because of the way he played afraid of it, if I didn't have it, there was still a good chance he lost anyway. But in this particular case, to make him feel better, I mean, I, I showed him a lot of the cards. I was like, and I did play them at some point. I was like, I had them. Like, you were going to come forward with uh, those Outriders and that Fortune Seeker or Rhaegal, and I was going to blow them up right out of the gate. <laughs> like, 
I was ready to reach out and touch some Outriders. And uh, just, you know, I didn't have to. So one of the things you said, you mentioned you'd want to add into this list, was Styre, which definitely makes sense. Giving an extra die to Spearwives in Torment, uh, and also giving them Sundering really makes a lot of sense. Did you feel like you needed like just a slightly different profile? You have a lot of the, like, you have two Spearwives, and then you have the Cave Dollar Savages who kind of bring Sundering like, did, did you feel like there was something just missing in the units that you brought at all with this list? or Yeah, three plus just... the hit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, more attack dice. So that's kind of the problem with Free Folk right now, right? Is that they are pitched as this very modular faction. And they are. You do get a lot of kit bashing you get to do. However, they're often similar flavors, right? Like. It's like fancy chocolate, right? Like you got sea salt chocolate, chocolate with like orange bits and like caramel and chocolate, right? But it's all still just chocolate at the end of the day. And that's kind of where the five point combos are for free folk. Mammoths at this time, I still did not and do not feel were particularly viable for competitive play. Giants in their current iteration, this is pre-mag, I remember, and stuff like that. Didn't really see play, because I'm looking at a dragon right now in this example, right? And it just eats a dragon. Eats a giant. Mm-hmm. And the giant can't kill the dragon. One shot, so the giant just loses. And that wasn't what I was answering. We don't actually have a meaningful armor skew. Mance is the real morale skew, which I had that already covered. And I have literally the same amount of panic manipulation in the list. So outside of panic, as I mentioned, getting to the panic step is the next only thing you can do. So Styre gets you Sundering, but it, more importantly, Styre gets you that extra dice. So Spearwives cap at six dice, six dice. Most free folk stuff caps at six dice, right? Flowers of Bone go to seven, but they go five, four. And then you can get Cave Dollar Savages to eight, but you're also nearly dead. Yeah. So Styre gets you at seven dice on average, right? And with Sundering on things that don't have it. So your highest threat potential is with some form of seven dice sundering, you know, uh, and hopefully coordinated assault if you had four ranks. And it doesn't actually get higher than that. Like, it really in any of Free Folk. Even if you had the Bone Lord's Chosen, you're still looking at, like, three plus to hit seven dice. Like, it doesn't actually get higher than that. And that is a reality of the Free Folk player. So that's why I mentioned Raid Leaders, right? Again, similarly, they manipulate things a little bit to help you with that a little bit. And that's why they would be in some of the newer versions of these lists. Is there a specific profile you were thinking of that you're just kind of surprised we don't talk about much as free folk players that you would, you're curious about? Because like it, it that's where that's where that, that the giant the giant kind of seems like it would fit this aggressive style, but like you said, if you're running into dragons, the giant's just dead. The thens they don't hit that aggressive. The only other thing I could think of maybe changing in this list if you wanted to make it kind of pseudo more aggressive in a way that it's more control would be if you were to able to add that ninth activation but free folk can get that ninth activation through endless horde anyway yeah so, so we get if you're, if you're running eight base right you play the game at 10 at some point and in theory if you need to if you can get that second one instead of bringing a unit on you could bring a dead unit back so you can bring a five point unit back which has its purposes at times too so also like looking at profiles, like I said, so Bone Lord's Chosen, seven dice, three plus. Flowers of Bone, seven dice, four plus. <laughs> so for that point upgrade, and you have the tax of having a bearing rattle shirt, you don't get much more offense. Giants, D3 wounds, plus one for each wound that he does. So on his first swing, D3. Thins, seven dice, but on four plus. Eh. Unyielding's decent, but you still out of four, six. Doesn't do a whole lot. Raid leader is what I felt like I was missing, and Styre. And the reason why is if you re-gang up, it's not only is it plus one to hit, it's plus one attack die. Mm-hmm. Right? So if you have a raid leader in the equation, another unit, now you do have to play a certain way, and your opponent 100% can deny you the second unit. But it's to give yourself the option. It's the ability, you can copy it over with coordinated assault if you need to. Things like that. Um, coordinated tactics. So, and then Styre involved. You're looking at a, now you're looking at, you know, eight, to nine dice, depending on the unit, out of the three plus to hit are better, right? So now, now you're cooking with fire, right? 
um, now you've got some real punch for more elite units and things like that. So that's why I felt I was missing Steyr and like a raid leader because like I would probably drop the Champ of Bone and the Flowers of Bone in that's in that unit, not and that unit. I'd upgrade yeah. Mantis to Steyr because I have too many influences at that point and I'm not getting ready to be grabbed. And then at Raiders, Champion of Bone would probably become a Raid Leader, right? At a minimum, that's how it would change this list. At a minimum. And mm-hmm. it's possible I make other changes. Who knows? But um, that's what I'd be looking at base because that does things like, like I said, like that makes a two-rank unit of Bone Lord's Chosen potentially hitting on a three-plus with nine dice. Right? Or it makes a full, fully throttled unit of Spearwives Hitting on eight dice, three plus, with three additional hits if they're at full, you know, at full ranks. And that's not accounting for any crit blow or anything you did before or after that, stuff like that, right? So now we're talking about we're just deleting units. Whole units gone. That's not even accounting for there's too many impanic checks. You're literally throwing enough hits out there at that point that you almost have 12 hits on the table. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what free folks are doing right now. They're trying to just gas it to, they dance around with you a little bit. And they scalpel something out. They throw a combo out there and delete something and get a hole created. And then from there, they use that hole, that footprint, to, to square off objectives. And then just hold the objectives. And their way they're pressuring you, the way I was pressuring people, into getting into that threat res- uh, threshold of, I can get to the unit I want and, and get it out of here and create that hole, was by starting by playing the game modes, right? Like priority one, deployment, unpacking, all of that is being in a meaningful position to threaten scoring with the objective. So my opponent has to stop me from playing the objective. If they don't, I run the score up with the objectives. If they don't contest me correctly, I blow something up and score the objectives. If they do everything perfectly, then we have a ball game. We have a fairly even game. And we're both playing objectives. And then it kind of comes down to who's cager with card play and things like that. So that's how I approached every game with Free Folk. And that's what my lists were designed to do a little bit, right? That's why I mentioned the parallel with Mats. If you can hit Mats before Mats can control the game a lot, if I'm getting shot at a lot or Cav in a lot of meaningful ways, then I was playing Torment because Torment allows me to check that aggression by being more aggressive. Uh, and that was kind of the parallel I was drawing with the two lists. All right. That makes a lot of sense. So you mentioned earlier that your Mance list was almost your skew into Lannisters and Tormund was for dealing with things that can reach out and touch you. So your your crossbow Night's Watch, your uh, cavalry tag lists, your double, double archer Greyjoys, double archer Starks list. Did you just have a feeling that... If you knew play, you were playing into one of those archetypal lists, that it didn't really matter what faction it was, as long as it fell into the archetype you wanted. So even if it was Baratheon uh, Cavalry, you would still run Tormund, knowing that you could reach out and punch it before, hopefully before it gets to you? Uh, it depends on the Cavalry. So Tormund list was more for medium to like fast calf type lists. If it was Hedge Knights or like um, Zorses or something that's not very durable, yes. If they brought, say, Baratheons, they brought a lot of Stormcore Archers and Cav or Lightbringers and Cav, yes, there's a good chance I did. If they brought a unit of Cav and all infantry, maybe not. Stag Knights, I almost don't count. Uh, Champs of the Stag, I almost don't count as Cavalry because they're slow. Right? Like they're speed four. They're charging on auto ends, ones and twos. They're only threading you from about ten inches, which is not a bit of a long, the, yeah. bit of a long charge from infantry, but not dramatically so, right? I'm threading from way farther than that as free folk, so it kind of depends a little bit. Um, but yeah, I did not, I did not feel, and still don't feel that free folk has any hard counters for a faction to say this list, this interaction locks down. Night's Watch, or something like that, right? And not to pick on Night's Watch, but I'm gonna say anything that's mechanically heavy, like even even Greyjoys, right? Like let's say people know that berry blocking Victorian attachment, right, or stopping 
was Dead May Never Die at the right time is just how you beat Greyjoys. I don't have a piece like that in Free Folk that I can say is a consistent answer to something specific. So looking at Free Folk, I decided that I just looked at the fundamental concept of the game. If I don't have an uber specialty, I'm going to lean in what I do have, which is a very, very consistent tempo commander and Mance that if you try to match him on the field, similar to Tyrion lists, you're probably going to lose because his resources are just that little bit ahead of curve of you, right? He's possibly going to counter something with his order. He's going to tutor the cards he wants from his deck to his hand. He's going to disrupt the tactics board in a meaningful way. Samantha's cards are really good. All of his cards are useful. Mm-hmm. Um, so for those who haven't played Mance, because you have a Free Folk player, pretty common in North America, you've got cards that when your opponent activates NCUs, you play it beforehand, and if they decide to take the zone, you can move tokens, you can do tokens, you can do D3 plus one auto wounds to stuff. That's huge when dealing with like things that are really durable. Really, really heavy infantry. So people are playing a lot of Blackguard, right? They're hard to kill. <laughs> They're really hard to kill, especially if they get stuck in. So just finishing a unit off, picking out a solo. If somebody's got some activation on it because they've got useful solos. You know, all that stuff really matters to slow the game down in a way that you can gain momentum and use your cards to get a lot of leverage. Using the long plan to get cards out of your deck that you want. Predictable maneuvers. Getting an extra attack or maneuver, you know, on your units. Getting an action economy going and getting ahead in activations by 9 out of 10 times, you're using the long plan to get endless horde in the early rounds. Like, that's just is what it is. So, mm-hmm. to get that extra unit on the board. So, when you know you have uber consistency and tempo, right? That's what this, that's what Manson is. He he looks at how the rounds are going to be scored and decides if you're going to allow that to a degree or if your opponent or if you allow your opponent to stop you. Mance does a whole lot of saying, I'm gonna do this my way. And then your opponent goes, Well, I'm gonna do this. And he goes, I'm not feeling that. And then it just it disrupts it enough that you get your full points on scoring on your objectives. And that's huge for Mance. And honestly, that beats seven out of ten lists every time. Honestly, mechanically, on how the game is scored and playing to 10 points, it's 10 VPs, that wins games. That's why Mance is the highest ranked commander in Free Folk, right? That is a very consistent way to play this game. Now, there are a lot of things in the game (laughs) that push things to an extreme skew that these efficiency curves can't keep up with. Slow and steady wins the race versus max extreme all the time. And that's where some of these cavalists were coming in. That's where dragons come in. That's where these really efficient gun lines come in. Again, not to pick on Night's Watch, the Greyjoy gun line is just as prominent. People were bringing a lot of Lightbringers in the summer, but they realized they weren't that good at seven points. It's mostly a Baratheon problem, not a Lightbringers problem, but mm-hmm. people were bringing a lot of them, and now they're just bringing Stormcrow archers instead because they're just cheaper, right? They could bring an attachment on those archers even more so and do something else with them. But yes, I decided that that was how I was going to break my matchups down was mechanics. And that also leaned into how we did the pairings. I did not particularly try, because I did a lot of the drafting for my team, because our captain was on vacation at the time the drafting came up, so I filled in. So he was playing Night's Watch. I was prepared to put him into every single Night's Watch mirror I could, because he had tested some lists into the mirror, and he was pretty confident with the matchup. And I was like, cool. If you can steal the Night's Watch from the other team, it's going to really help us get an advantage in wins to win the week. And I had other things planned out for my Lannister player and for our Targaryen player. Not all of those played out. Sometimes we had the matchups. A lot of times we got the matchups we wanted. But I pretty much put myself down for the first blind pick every time because of how I built my lists. A lot of people did that because they wanted to make sure that their best player was going, their best factions were going against favorable matchups because they really wanted to count on those wins. And some teams, I think one other team kind of had the same philosophy I had was we're going to put our weakest ones up first blind because we're going to expect them to have a hard time anyway. Right? Trial by fire. You're going to have a hard time anyway. You're maybe a 50-50 win-loss either way. Well, we're going to let it go blind and we're going to hedge our bets with every other pairing. And that's what I did. 
I face checked whatever I need to face check, and then the best I could to set up favorable matchups for everyone else, right? Um, and then every week that I won was an advantage on the tiebreakers, right? And it played out that way for the most part. We dropped some games in the middle on the other pairings, but I won all but one of my games, my final against Nightswatch in the end. So I lost that one. But that is how I did it. I would look at my opponent's lists and I would go, okay, which one are they probably dropping in the Free Folk? That one looks like the Free Folk answer, be it activations or something like that, some other sign that it was probably a Free Folk drop. Or game mode drops. Sometimes like, man, you have to play this one in the game mode. Like, for instance, if you've got a five objective game mode where solos don't count as ranks, but one rank, and you've got two Dragonstone, Snow- two Dragonstone Nobles and a chance of the stag, you're not playing that list. <laughs> you've got a total of four ranks among your whole army, basically. And you yeah. can't hold anything, right? So I knew they were playing the second list. And I would look at that list. If the list was a brick of infantry, if it was, you know, um, one of the matchups I'm looking at right now from Ants was uh, Stag Knights, Stannis, Faithful or Priestess, Lightbringers, Blackguard, Three NCs, right? I was okay. Play Bants. You know, even though there's an Archer unit in there, and I was like, okay, things are going to reach out and touch me, the bulk of this list is threats, and how it's going to play is that it's trying to get on game objectives and hold them, right? Stag Knights, hard to kill, play the long game. Blackguards, really good at the long game. Faithful, weirdly in the middle, but punish you the longer the rounds go by spending their faith tokens for hits, right? Um, so I played Mance, not Tormund, even though they had archers. Does that make sense? Like, it, that totally makes sense, yeah. Yeah, so it was. I would look at the lists, try to figure out which one they're going to drop. And now if I was like a 50-50, if they didn't drop the one that I thought they were going to drop, I was boned if they dropped the other one. That I took the more conservative approach, or would have. It never really came up that way. For the most part, where I was surprised by what list someone dropped, the answer was the same because the lists were very close. So it didn't matter. I think that was a Loris matchup, which I can check real quick. But the idea was that I was like, oh, he'll probably drop this one. And he didn't, but that's okay because the lists were still very close. Yeah. So they had a double Rose Knights Loras list. With double champs of the stag with glory seekers and two NCUs. But the game mode was Dance with Dragons. And that's not the worst situation, honestly. But they had another list that I felt was probably better for Dance of Dragons. But they got this one anyway. And I dropped Mance, right? We got two we got two Cav, but like I said, I don't really count stags as Cav. And yeah. the game mode kind of neuters Cav, right? It forces you to speed too. So Cav don't do Cav things anymore. Quite the same. So I played that play the Mance list because that is a game mode where slow and steady wins the race. The game mode forces slow and steady, and I went from there. But as I mentioned, when I played your buddy's list, he's got, you know, he played Unsullied Pikeman, Dario Naharis with Outriders with Fortune Seeker. Regal and Dothraki Screamers. That's the guy I go fast list, right? Pikeman, neither of my lists like Pikeman, but he's got three guy go fast units, basically. You know? So Torment it was, because three of the four things I need to answer from downtown. So I play Torment. And that's how I play Free Folk all the time, honestly. As I mentioned, I don't feel like they hard counter anything mechanically. So they have to play generic rulebook mechanics because they don't really play into faction mechanics. Mance plays into Lannister, as I mentioned, less because of Lannister mechanics, more so than it just plays into morale mechanics, right? Yeah. If you were playing a Lightbringers list, Mance is still really good in the Lightbringers list because of the morale buff. If you're playing Panic Free Folk or uh, Harlow Reapers, Mance plays well into those matchups because of the morale boost, right? Um, and in the Lannister matchup, Disrupting the tactics board means you might disrupt Joffrey, right? Or you get a payoff from them feeling like they have to put Joffrey on the board to turn all their stuff on, particularly in the at the time, this is pre-Arata. Though I don't remember if the TSL Arata, the charge or not for Red Cloaks or not themselves. I think I think they counted it as two actions. I thought they did, right? Which is what we what it was pre-Arata. So yeah. yeah. So if you're looking at our Red Cloaks meta situation, right, where Joffrey turn one on bags was 
the play because it turned on the entire tactics deck, which is a great deck. And it turned on any attachments you brought and the red cloaks, right? So Mance is that list because they can get through that morale bubble, but you can disrupt the, uh, depending on how the list is built, mind you, you can disrupt what they do with their NCUs and other stuff and finish units off. And you have enough punch that you can chew through, if you focus fire, you can focus fire down poor fellows. And then you can get to the red cloaks. Now, if they were bringing like hedge knights, red cloaks, and then poor fellows, I might have had to play Tormund. And that's because I can't afford to dawdle with poor fellows and get out threaded by red cloaks because they're basically a, a no scope laser um, at the time. And hedge knights, they can just come in and flank me, right? So then I might have had to change it up. But mechanically, the way the turn sequencing unpacks for the Lannister lists at the time, Mance was the play. Right. So again, I didn't feel like anything was a hard counter by faction. They were hard counter they were counterplay within mechanics was the point of the lists. And that's how I feel like you have to build free folk. So with a lot of that being said, a lo- some people bring lists for game modes. Like they have that specific if this is at Dance with Dragons, I have a Rob list for it so that I can unlimited shift away from you. Or this is a five objective. I need five units to be on the board. But it sounds almost like you're saying, I brought two lists and I'm going to counter your game mode specific list. I don't. Uh, both my lists play into all the game modes because they're both five. Ob- the, the unit stats are basically all the same. Across all your like five points and four point units, they all have pretty much the same save. So it doesn't matter if it's five objectives or if it's three objectives. You're roughly the same speed, roughly the same defensiveness. Did you did you find you were the only only game mode really that might change that is Clash of Kings or Feast for Crows might favor Tormund anymore? Uh, did you find that? I, lo- I, I, lo- I lost the Night's Watch and Fire and Blood because I couldn't pressure the game mode. <laughs> right like that yeah, absolutely that's, that's happens yeah, yeah 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 that absolutely happens right i went to a very uphill battle on a faction matchup into a game mode that i couldn't leverage what my faction does well uh, uh better than him right uh no faction in the game right now is better at killing the opponent than free the night's watch especially from a distance and there was no other way to score the game right and it was a tight game but it's what happened right and i did play torment to just try to try and get to if they left an opening get to something and kill it right yeah uh, just it, it didn't quite play out that way that time around but yeah you're right so because both lists are eight activations and get to 10 activations right and even if i had a nine versus an eight because that means there's another unit of raiders really in play it doesn't really change how the list plays still and you're right in that you play the game modes the same the way you score right like free folk are in a position where we're not getting the activations with solos we're getting activations with full ranks of infantry, right? <laughs> Everything is a three three rank infantry tray, twelve wounds. Every list, whether it's Stire, Harma, doesn't matter, Rattleshirt, Weeper, is basically at least eight infantry with two in the chamber and three NCUs if you're into three NCU meta, right? If you if you like three NCUs. Free folk aren't awful at two NCUs. I will give a shout out to people who are doing that, but we also while we have a very short list of NCUs, they're very good. So it's hard not to bring one at four points. But anyway. So yes, because your lists are symmetrical in that way, you don't necessarily care if it's honed and ready versus Dance with Dragons. Because there is no calf that doesn't do calf things if it's got a dance token, right? Everything getting shot by the walls gets shot by the walls on a five-up, basically. You know, there's there's not a whole lot of interplay. Outside that, you literally are still just managing your activations, keeping track of your units, keeping track of your opponent's mechanics, and denying them scoring. Your goal is to get three points around at least every round forever. And by three, I mean two from your commander scoring if you can, and one other place you can score, and everything else is to tactically stop your opponent from scoring. So putting that free unit of raiders into their commander so you can test, right? They score one instead of three, you're up by two, you're winning the game. Like, that is the math you do from round one. 
you deploy, you look across the table and you go, okay, we start scoring on round two, whether it's secret mission objectives, it doesn't matter what ones are in play. How are we scoring? I need three points a turn because it's very possible that if we get to round five, I don't have the unit's stamina stat wise to not lose three units roughly in a cleanup round like round five. We get to round five, I'm going to have several things on one and a half ranks, maybe two ranks. And there's a good chance that with some card play, they literally kill two or three units in a go. And a lot of factions. So I have to be on time where I'm closing the game on round four or round five with my last unit or two. We cannot bet on round six. You don't ever want to play for a round six. It's free folk. You just don't have the stats. Even giants, as durable as they seem, don't have the stats for it because there's still only six wounds and precision, dragons, and things that we mentioned get around a lot of those mechanics. So you can't count on it. Or, or because of the cost, you're playing at the same number of activations as your opponent and they're getting multiple long-range shots. Because the other thing you got to remember is, outside of the Tormund trick, we have nothing that attacks from 12 inches away. We just got the Chariot now, which does. Still only six wounds, by the way. Still in armor five. And we've got a couple of combat tricks to move up the board. And traps from trappers are at 12 inches. <laughs> but everything else gets a two-inch shift and then 12-inch threat, right? So... That's the thing that you got to keep in mind, right? That's why you, you're not seeing the Giants and stuff like that. Is that, And that's ultimately what l forces our lists to be very samey, which is why if you're in the discords and stuff, you see free folk players. Oh, you're all playing the same stuff already. Oh, you all played in six spam, and you're not happy now. Your faction's cooler. It is, and we are pretty happy. We're in a good spot. Honestly, it's fun to play. It's, it's, it's hard to play <laughs> to some degree. Um, but it's satisfying because the combos are potent, right? When you get up and you, like I said, I did the math. You blow a unit clean up, right? We can get 12 hits on from Spearwives, 10 hits from Spearwives. And then a there's too many at a modified, you know, minus three and then plus three wounds. You're just decimating high value targets. It's very satisfying. But every list is built roughly the same way because, as I mentioned before, the drag, uh, with the giants and things like that, that would normally break that list symmetry. They're just viable in the competitive environment right now that exists. And they could be going forward. New stuff comes out all the time, and I'm excited about some of the new stuff. But at the moment, this is how I played them, because the exact same reason. I didn't care which of my lists play which game modes. I entirely cared about what my opponent was going to be able to do in the game mode. That was a very different way of looking at it. Now, do you have specific terrain you like to bring for these lists? Is it... Nah. Is it very matchup dependent, or is it like I know with some people with solos, they like a force to hide their solo in. A lot of people who run heavy panic lists love dropping the the corpse pile. Some people would see Mance and say, "Well, I'm just gonna drop two weirwood trees and haha, my whole army is on a four plus morale. Deal with that." Is that ever something you? You have planned going into it, or is yours all loosely. flex picks? Loosely, but mostly flex picks. So, as I mentioned, fortified uh, or hindering hurt us a fair bit more than the average opponent. They help our opponent more than they help us in that we have a, a notable lack of access to rerolls outside of just egret ignoring things like hindering, right? So, you want to be specific about how you play something that may have hindering. It doesn't mean I never use bogs. I use bogs. I use bogs against slow factions like Baratheons all the time. It's a big, you know, it's a big tar pit that does stuff. That's hard for them to get through. Forest saw a lot of plagues, as I mentioned. Getting shot at is a problem. So screening things is important. I often didn't need to screen my whole army. So I never really placed more than one forest. And it was usually specifically to hide my commander, like a Mance, right? I don't care about my trappers shooting through the forest. I just want you to not shoot my trappers. Mance in them. And their traps work blind anyway, so it didn't matter. Very seldom that I put a weirwood or corpse... Corpse piles come up every now and again. But, um... Because... 
getting from a five to a four isn't a huge payoff considering the Dweller Cave Dweller Savages are already at four. And going from like a seven to an eight uh, and to get some factions as checks and tests wasn't a major differentiation. So it and it was dependent outside of that, right? If I was trying to hinder certain things, uh, I would have played different terrain. Uh, it, it does depend on what my opponent puts where. It's kind of hard to answer that one, but for the most part, it's pretty fluid. Usually, looking at a gun line, at least one forest, right? Or a couple of a couple of archers, one forest. No guns at all, don't worry about a forest. I mean, right, if it's just cav and infantry, then no forests. Rough terrain against lower factions, stuff like that. You just got to look at what your opponent has access to. If they don't care about certain keywords and certain terrain, then you don't put it. You know, you don't deal with it. I put anything my opponent was going to have to interact with because I was going to have more frivolous actions to kill an activation to get around it or destroy a terrain piece or something than they were going to have. So I was going to annoy them by putting things that they had to interact with. That was always the plan. Um, so pretty much everything I do is based on what my opponent's trying to do, basically. And you're saying uh, essentially that the uh, the old free folk, I'm going to drop a stakes on Feast for Crows. I can kill myself to get a corpse piles. Not as much of a thing anymore. Oh, it's still a thing. It's still a thing. But because we don't have a ton of more units than you, a lot of times we're playing eight activations to start. And other factions are also at eight or eight uh, pseudo activations. And for listeners who don't know, we're referring to pseudo activations in the form of like Relentless, the Watch Captain or Victorian, where it's or uh, the Targaryen Unsullied Officer, where it's an order that takes the place of an activation. You don't have to activate a unit. So they have parity. So you can't necessarily afford to go down that activation. Unless you already have the there's too many in hand. Sometimes you need a turn to dig for it. So a lot of times I would just be uber aggressive with a raider unit or something. Because it would die. And it's insignificant. And if they didn't kill it, it, I could kill their other little unit. I would attack something small. You know, or medium. That would be like, kind of want to keep it around, but I kind of don't need it. But something that I would eventually lose to, because very few people just retreat <laughs> with the unit because they didn't want to give up the corpse pile they were on, for instance. But because of the way the new, like, attack at more ranks than your opponent or and take the token or panic test, things like that play out with, like, Feast for Crows, I don't feel like you need it anymore because you wait till they have to address the corpse pile or they can't score. And then you go in and you challenge and you just take it. Right, where like before one point six, you would attack with a unit. You could take off several ranks. If they passed the morale test, they didn't drop it. But now you can just take it, right? So if it's cavalry, for instance, or whatever, uh, which is very popular in the middle right now. So you go up to them. I would wait, attack. Now your opponent has to attack you on the corpse pile. They need to stop you from scoring with that token. So I'm still gonna give up an infantry unit before you do. Because that's all you care about. You just only really care about getting the first corpse pile. And then bringing a backup unit, your commander or something, onto it. Or an endless horde unit onto it. So you don't have to just do donuts on the stakes anymore. I think that's a mistake. If I was running nine activations, like an actual just like... Because that means it's an extra unit of raiders in there somewhere. I might. I might do it at nine. But more often than not, these days, you don't have the activation to give up. Truly. Not genuinely. If I was playing Targaryens, I would walk Freedmen to the corner to die immediately. <laughs> uh, and then just run over there with my calf commander or something and score. Uh, but it's not that free for us anymore. So, you know, giving up an activation is rough. Going 7-8 if you don't have the Endless Horde in hand. Or you pay all those points to be 9 to go back to even. If you don't have an Endless Horde in hand, it's kind of bad. And like I said, because you can just take things from having having more ranks, you can set up a double tap or something. That has been more impactful, I found, than uh, than stacking a unit these days. All right. Just, just kind of overplaying a unit is usually good enough. Yeah. So one last thing to note is this was uh, part of a team tournament. So each team was only allowed to bring one of each faction. And your team already had their Targaryen 
I think you guys brought Targaryens, Night's Watch, Lannisters, and yourself as free folk. Yep, that's right. If this were just a standard tournament, would these lists be something you consider to bring again with with maybe the tweaks that uh, we talked about, or would you would you be bringing different lists? Nah, I'd have brought this. I'd have brought this. I'm not only just like a bit of a free folk main. I mean, I do play Greyjoys on the side and a little bit of Starks here and there, but. Free Folk is a primary faction I'm very familiar with. Even in the new edition, it's what I got the most games with. I enjoy playing them. I enjoy the uh, the curve. They have a fairly low ceiling. You can be really bad with them. <laughs> they can be unforgiving if units die at the wrong time in the wrong order. But the ceiling is real high with them, and I enjoy that. I mean, I'm prepping for LVO now. I'm um, looking at lists, and I'm planning for do we get Q3 released in for retail release in the NA in time or not for January. And uh, if I, what I do have, if I don't get chariots, for instance, or if I do have chariots, do I bring them? So I'm starting to plan all that out now because it's the only major I'm going to get to go to. And I'm still looking at bringing free folk. So it's the first it's the first faction pack I would reach for out the door any day, basically, um, even this edition. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking about free folk, Charles. Are there any major shout outs you want to give? Yeah, I mean, uh, the Sunday Slaughter podcast, uh, Chris Tran out there, he's got all his battle reports, he does a great job, um, and we just did a NCU tier list for those who missed it, it's a lot of fun, there's a lot of back and forth between guests and community members on that video, and uh, George from 3 Sales for brand the TSL, it was a lot of fun, it was a great event, uh, he's got good tutorials if you're looking at getting into the competitive scene, but you don't have time, you don't have a big meta in your area, and you haven't played against all the other factions, I do recommend you watch the faction overviews and list clinics for factions you haven't played against a lot. They're a real good primer of what you might see at a tournament, so you have an idea. And then always Song of Ice and Fire dash stats for list building, events, scheduling games. That's where all the data is, and that's where all the tryhards live. So come out there and visit us uh, and chat with us in some of those discords and hang out. That's it. All right. Thank you again, Charles, for coming on. And to everyone out there listening, we are here to share your success in this game. So join us again next time, here, Between Two Weirwoods.